I hope you've been enjoying the distribution. I want to hear from you. Please go to the link in the show description to provide your feedback on the topics and guests you would like to hear from. I appreciate your time and hope to keep giving you more of the conversations you enjoy. I'm Brandon Sedloff, Managing Director at Juniper Square, and you're listening to The Distribution by Juniper Square. Join us as we sit down with experts from commercial real estate, venture capital, and private equity to discuss trends in technology, fundraising, and private markets. We'll cover this and much more. In this episode of The Distribution by Juniper Square, I speak with Eileen Goldfein, Chief Digital Strategy Officer at Heinz, one of the largest privately held real estate investors and managers in the world. In her role, Eileen is responsible for new digital strategy initiatives throughout the company, including using technology and data to empower employees, engage clients and partners, optimize operations, and transform Heinz's products and services. During our conversation, we discussed Heinz's culture and the evolution of Eileen's career at Heinz, how Eileen defines prop tech and how technology is evolving to solve more meaningful problems, the four pillars of Heinz's data strategy and the infrastructure of a data-focused organization, and the importance of diversity of thought and what Heinz and Eileen are doing to drive impact. Eileen's role is unique in the industry, and her remit is broad given Heinz's size and scope. I always enjoy my conversations with Eileen, and this one was no different. I hope you enjoy it as well. If you do enjoy this episode, please take a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and please share it with a friend or colleague and on social media. Let's get into it. Eileen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me here. Excited. I like to start all my podcasts by asking my guests to introduce themselves. So can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your role? And then we'll unpack that as we go. Sounds great. So my name, Eileen Goldfine, I am at Heinz Interest, the real estate firm, privately held real estate firm. We are in 30 countries currently across every asset type, pretty much buy, sell, manage, do whatever we can do across real estate. I've been here quite a while in a variety of different roles. My current role right now is Senior Vice President, Chief Digital Strategy Officer, which still does not roll off the tongue, and I need to work on that. But I've been in this role now for about uh, almost a year and a half, and we can talk about how I got here and you're really ready to. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm ready. So let's dive in. You've, you you, and I have had the privilege of knowing each other for many, many years now. Maybe, you know, talk about the the journey that you've had at Heinz, you know, over the last, I think your LinkedIn says 16 years, but you were just telling me it's closer to 25. So let's talk about, you know, what is, what does Eileen's journey at Heinz look like so far? And then we'll get into what is the role that you're doing today and the impact that you're having. Sounds great. So the journey actually really makes a difference about my role today, right? And and it all comes together to get to the get to the role today. So that it is actually really important to understand kind of where I came from. So I started in January of nineteen ninety eight, because I am old. We've discussed that before. Uh January nineteen ninety eight at buildings in Detroit. And so they we actually were doing the redevelopment of the Jim Global headquarters in Detroit. Heinz was working on that, as well as Heinz had some uh, other buildings in, in Detroit. I started as an accountant. And the basically all I could do was learn as much as possible, as quickly as possible about building operations, right? And, you know, talking to engineers, and we were, you know, working with property managers, all that's about how the buildings were run. At the same time, it was um, a major redevelopment with General Motors. So it was, I'd say this was mixed use before mixed use was even in, right? I mean, you had 
hotel and office and storage and retail and y- you name it. So I started on the ground at in building operations, which to me laid the groundwork for everything that and everywhere that, that I've been today. And after that, I moved and I, like I said, I started accounting and I moved from there to San Francisco and was the controller of one of our funds. So I moved into from building operations accounting to fund management accounting, right? And so I was working on one of our largest funds at the time, discretionary fund, and uh, really seeing how all of the, the building operation, all the building information came up into the fund. Again, Heinz, we're privately held. We, we do everything related to real estate, including operating our own buildings, right? So vertically integrated. So vertically integrated, investment management, all comes together. So I did that for a while. And then I moved into some central roles and helped start up some other funds. Our, our first uh, U.S. core fund that went into the fire REIT products and the series of products. And so all kind of in the accounting bent. But with all this, it was how to do things better, faster, easier, right? So I joke around that I was constantly trying to work myself out of a job. What could I do to lay the groundwork to, to do all that? After that, I moved into a role of creating a centralized accounting organization. We did that for, for a little while related to uh, some of these fun, fun projects, then got into special projects, launching the ERP system. Again, you name it, I was into it. So I pretty much just never said no <laughs> to an opportunity here at Heinz. That ultimately led me to move into actually into investment management. I got out of accounting. Okay. So now I'm done, you know, accounting for various parts of the organization. I get into investment management now. I'm working on the investment management side of the house with our funds. And then that led me to where the precursor to this role, which was the, the launch of the business technology group. And that really was, I was asked about eight or nine years ago to wake up every day thinking about how to do things better. So since that was pretty much my MO from day one, again, working myself out of a job, it was, you know, how do you put the infrastructure in place? What do you do to do things, you know, from a more efficient, efficient standpoint? So that was the start of the journey I'm on now. We started with myself and one other person that that grew because what it was was looking at how to service the business from a business perspective of using tools, technology, data in order to further the business. So it's, this is a really pivotal moment and I would say about nine or 10 years ago because that's actually when kind of the prop tech really started coming alive, right? And so prior to that, everything that I've been doing was based on, you know, Excel or based on certain things. But that moment was when prop tech starts popping up Data that is, you know, starting its journey, you know, all, all these sorts of things. So we were able to, to do, you know, quite a bit at that time. That's where we started our data warehouse project. That's where we really made a lot of traction in a lot of different, different areas. And that led to then what we did in August, no, sorry, April of 2022, which launched the Global Digital Strategy Office. And what that is, is it's the three disparate groups coming together of business process plus technology plus data to uh, really further the firm's objectives as well as honestly the objectives of real estate to make things easier, more transparent, use data to do you know better decision making and all that. So that's my that, that's that's fascinating. Cool. I, I mean I love I love the part of, you know, you started your career in the asset, then you were a fund controller and now you're doing effectively, you know, digital transformation, business transformation and and a lot of other important things. It sounds very encompassing, business process, technology, data. What is it not? Like what is, you know, either what, maybe you can answer the question however you want, either what is in your remit or what is not in your remit, whichever is easier to answer. Cause it sounds like it's a, it's a very 
kind of all-encompassing type role. It is pretty much all-encompassing. So I'm trying to figure out what's not in our remit. <laughs> it's, you know, especially in today's world where data and technology are everything, right? Okay, so there's a lot. We are not, I guess, trying to boil the ocean and do everything everywhere all at once. I will use that reference. Okay, but be very mindful about how we do things. But it is pretty much the whole gamut at times, right? So we organized the Global Digital Strategy Office. Uh, when, when we put it together, we reorganized along what I call business lines. So we have a group that's focused on our development and operations business because that's you know a, a heavy business that Heinz is in from a vertical integration standpoint. We have a group that focuses on our investment management business, right? From really funds for the you know buying and selling of assets. We have a group that focuses on our corporate business. So what you know, corporate systems we're using for HR or for employee reporting for our marketing communications. We have then a group that's basically solely focused what I call on digital transformation, which are those kind of big, ugly, hairy things that go across the entire organization that we need to figure out and kind of parse out. So right now that's, you know, ESG, that's, you know, how we kind of built a corporate system for our investment committee, you know, things like that. So so really it's it's pretty, pretty broad. It's pretty deep. And we we believe that all of this ties together, right? And so all of this needs to come together. All of the data needs to come together. And so really we've got to look at it holistically. Again, we might not boil the ocean all at the same time, but we have to look at it holistically in order to move move I what I say is the industry forward. You mentioned when you started the team, I think you said it was two people, if I'm not mistaken. What is the kind of the the organization that you lead look like today from a you know, headcount perspective, you know, key roles and responsibilities that that kind of roll up under under your department, just to give us that perspective. So when I started, that was just the business process, or I'd say the business technology groups, that was two of us, okay? There was still an IT organization. There was not a data organization yet. There was a research organization, and then that split off, and Adam Hastings split off and created the data, the data organization. So it's not really an apples-to-apples comparison. The business process group themselves right now is about... I think we're about 15. I, I think it's kind of grown, you know, over this time, but not exponentially. We really ramped up in the data and technology side because of the changes that have been happening, you know, so, so rapidly. We, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big group, but it's probably not as large as people would think that we need to have <laughs> for the, for the size of our organization. So we have about 4,500 employees worldwide. Like I said, in 30 countries, every product type. We do, like I said, build, buy, manage, third-party manage. And our organization, the GDSO organization, is probably about 100 people right now. And we're, we're going as, as fast as possible. So in your bio, it says that you're responsible for, quote, providing technology and data to empower employees. And, you know, I guess with that, would you say that your primary, quote, unquote, client or kind of the people you're building for, is it is it kind of the employees? Is it? Heinz more broadly, you know, kind of how do you think about who your team is working, you know, who your partners are at the organization? So we say empower employees, but that's because the employees then are on the ground. They're doing the really usually doing the work for the investors, or for the clients doing the buildings and, and things like that, right? For the, I'm going to say the, the occupant, you know, the person that's sitting at, at the desk in the building and all that. So when we say empower employees, it's to give them the tools to be more effective in everything that they do, okay? So that they can be, you know, really in our minds, you know, bringing their best 
thought, you know, and their best uh, energy to servicing, you know, all the stakeholders that we service, not necessarily having to work through like, you know, I've done 10 steps to get to, to get to something, right? So we really want our folks to be able to bring their best selves to bear to service our, our clients and investors and all that. So that's how we empower the employees. But holistically, uh, we believe, you know, our our clients are anyone that we touch. Okay, so it's our employees, you know, in the organization. It's all of our investors. You know, we, we spend a lot of time with our investors and have conversations with our investors from the GDSO group. We have clients, tenants, you know, occupants and things like that that we, we service. Again, that's our that's who we're servicing, right? Anybody that's in our ecosystem, be vendors, be partners, and all that. That's um, it's, it's really all about the customer service of the entire ecosystem and how to make it easier. And so, especially like I say, investors and with occupants right now, we we need the real estate industry in general needs to do better on giving information to those to those teams, right? I keep saying to open up the pipes, open up the pipes to the users, to the tenants, to the investors, to the lenders, you name it. And so that's holistically the way that we, we see it is they're all of our stakeholders. So I love I love what you said about the ecosystem and opening up the pipes. We're going to come back to both of those as we move into the kind of technology portion of the conversation. Before we leave kind of the high ends in your career journey, for you know those listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with Heinz, you know one of if not the largest real estate company in the world, as Eileen mentioned, you know very broad in terms of the activities. But one of the things that those of us who are in the industry know and respect about Heinz is the culture. And you've been at the organization for 25 years. Can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what makes Heinz such a special place to? you know, build a career to 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 stay and, and work at and, and, you know, all the different things that, yeah, I mean, we don't need to talk about all of them, but what are some of the different things about your culture that you think are unique and that's kept you there for for so long? The Heinz culture is, a, and I, I referenced it before, is really about bringing your best self to work, okay? And that best self is then working with other people bringing their best selves. So it is a constant state of learning and a constant state of of really pushing yourself to be to be better, okay? And for me, that is just to wake up every day and be able to come to an organization that you know that you're going to learn something new. I mean, literally every day I learn something new. You know, and, I, and there's not a lot of people that are saying that after, you know, 25 years in the organization. But you're, you're here and you're challenged and you are working with people that are like-mindedness to challenge, right? It's, it's never the status quo. There's a lot of quotes and things like that out in the in the world about Mr. Hines and about his view on innovation and his view on, you know, constantly pushing and all that. That's this through and through the culture of of Heinz, which is we are always going to push. We're always going to challenge ourselves. We're always going to learn. There's always something to take away from somebody else, right? And so people that come to Heinz stay at Heinz a very long time because that is a energizing, exciting, you know, great place to be, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, you can, you can teach other people, you can learn from other people, you can forge paths. I mean, what other companies would it be that I've been able to start as a, you know, CPA sitting in Detroit and I'm sitting here kind of wearing that. And that's a, that's the organization, which is to really enable all of us to literally chart our paths and be able to 
grow and and just work in a way that I, I don't think a lot of other companies, you know, allow for. That said, your biggest strength is also your biggest weakness sometimes, right? So we are a very consensus building, decentralized organization, and everybody has these voices. Everybody has these opinions. Everybody has, you know, something to bring to bear. That's hard when you're trying to roll out, you know, there's some consistent things and stuff like that. We'll get into that. But I always say, I'm like, if my voice matters to other people about certain things, then we need to make sure that their voice matters to us when we're, when we're doing something. So, so it's great. But, and I will tell you, so the difference in the, the timeframes about my, the LinkedIn is 16 and the 25. So I was working for Heinz. I moved around for some personal reasons, right? And basically, I was uh, back in Detroit working for Heinz remotely before remote work was in, okay? And uh, so we basically didn't call that, you know, employment, like an employee arrangement because it was new to everybody, right? And this is just probably, you know, 16, 18 years ago that that wasn't normal, okay? So I was working remotely from Detroit, but here for the Houston organization, the central organization, investment management. And so... That's a great thing. I mean, think about that just from a culture perspective. Like that's way before anybody <laughs> anybody was doing that, right? And so I was allowed to do that. I was allowed to again. That was a lot about balancing, you know, my work life uh, situation at the time. Which, by the way, I don't think there's ever balance, but it was <laughs> literally a, a, an attempt to. And Heinz allowed me to do that, and that says a lot again about the about the organization and the culture. Yeah, my my own anecdote about Heinz, in addition to. Uh, having the opportunity to work with you and, and your colleagues is I remember many years ago, I had the privilege of of being at Mr. Heinz's house, who's no longer with us, but his legacy is. And, you know, it was a room full of very senior real estate executives, a who's who of real estate. We were there for a ULI event and he was graciously hosting. And and kind of two two quick antidotes, every, you know, I was the youngest person in the room, probably by 15 years. And I was the first person he walked up to and he didn't care about any of the other people who were, you know, not his peers, but other executives. But he wanted to talk to me once he learned that I had lived in Asia. He wanted to talk about Shanghai. He wanted to talk about your projects and he just went straight to it. And then much to the surprise of everybody we were with, the very next morning at 7 a.m., Mr. Hines shows up to go on the boat tour at the Port of Houston, not because he had never seen the port of Houston or there's anything that, you know, he doesn't know about Houston. But what he said to the group was he wanted to hear how the port is talking about the port of Houston to others. And that kind of shows that learners, I mean, he was, I don't know, 92 at the time ish and still going, you know, still, still going out, taking boat tours, walking the, you know, walking the assets and the, in the infrastructure. And I think, you know, to me, that's something that I'll never forget. And candidly, it had a big impact on my career to see people like him embracing you know, people, regardless of their tenure, really just for what they have in their head versus, you know, the title they have on their name tag. Absolutely. And that's, that explains our culture, our culture, you know, perfectly. And anybody who comes in interviews or, or anything like that at Heinz, I just say, you, know, you come in and just listen to people and learn and, you know, and, and it doesn't matter. Again, in the whole ecosystem, you're going to learn something and you really need to be able to, to embrace that. And the people that, that do that and embrace that, I mean, we've all been around a long time. <laughs> so. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about with technology and real estate. So you mentioned, you know, when your role was originally set up, you know, going back nine, 10 years ago, you know, that was kind of the beginning of PropTech. T- talk to me about, you know, how do you define PropTech? And by the way, I don't like that word. So if you like it, feel free to use it. If you don't, I won't be offended. But I think about technology and real estate and the intersection of the two. So kind of like through your lens, 
where are we? Like, what does that landscape look like? How has it evolved so far throughout your career? So, oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> as you were, that's what we're that's what we're here for. As, let's as let's dive in. So, I think that when uh, real estate technology first showed up, okay, it showed up, and it was. I mean, it was like it's novel concept. I mean, right? We didn't have anything, okay. And so, literally, there was a lot of low hanging fruit of okay, well, this will just help somewhere do something, okay. And so, you know, we started we started looking at those sorts of things, and they were important and they mattered because it actually, in my mind, started everybody thinking that technology could apply to real estate, okay. That this actually starts the journey, right? And no matter what those tools are, okay, whether related to investment management or related to, you know, buildings or, you know, whatever you want to say, those tools really open up the idea that technology could, could apply, you know, in, to this enormous asset class, okay? I think what's happened personally over these past nine or 10 years is then it got stagnant for a while, okay, right? And it got really stagnant. And honestly, at some point, I think the technology industry basically was like, well, if that all worked, then I'm going to start kind of throwing some other things out there, right? I'm going to, what about this? What about this? this?" And then there was this shift that it was, well, things are coming that nobody really needs, okay? And I think, Brandon, you've heard me talk about this a lot, about like, you know, I need to find things that give me a return on my investment that are easy to implement, okay? That's kind of, I use an X and a Y axis to discuss this, and I need to be an upper right quadrant. And the return on investment doesn't mean, you know, actual dollars. It could be, you know, savings of people's time so they can do something that's more, more valuable, you know, things like that. And, and what ended up happening was we were getting flooded with a lot of things that weren't on that scale, right? So there, you know, maybe if you can do a bank rec from 15 minutes to 10 minutes, yeah, that's nice, but that's not, you know, that's not what we're really talking about here. Things that need it, right? And so I think personally, this is just mine, is that the industry got a bit stagnant, okay? And I think that also technology vendors didn't necessarily listen to the real estate. Okay, into the real estate industry. I think we're coming out, and there's, there's a, I'm very optimistic there's another side that, that's coming forward here, which is wait a minute. Okay, what are the real pain points? What are the, what are the things? And a lot of them are tied to the end user of the real estate. Again, being is it a resident? Is it an, an occupant? Is it, you know, of an office space, of a, somebody that's walking through a retail space and all that kind of stuff? And that's really, if you think about it, isn't that what we're all supposed to be doing is looking at what does the customer really need, right? I think the technology industry is morphing. I think it's not perfect right now, but I think it's getting there, which is let's listen to what the real estate owners want. Let's all be talking about what the end users, whether, you know, it's, it's the people sitting in the real estate, because ultimately that's what drives investment returns. That drive, I mean, right? Empty buildings doesn't drive investment returns, you know, and, that, and things like that. And, and really, so I see this shift in real estate. And I think on the technology side, I'm, I'm very optimistic of where, where it is. One of the other things that I would say that I'm kind of watching and seeing, and again, these are all my opinions, which is I get it that a lot of companies, the UI, like that experience is really important. And again, at the beginning also, it was really important because we had nothing, right? I mean, hey, oh, look, that's shiny. That's, <laughs> that's fantastic. And that's, that, that's important. But underlying that, how the data and how the architecture of those technologies may not have been ideal, 
okay, because of, again, 10 years ago, nine, 10 years ago, it was kind of starting journey and all that stuff. And now what you're seeing is, well, again, UI is very important. The data and the architecture is the name of the game, right? If you don't have that foundation that is easily scalable from a technology vendor perspective, it is horrible, okay? Because I can't then get what we need out of again from a data perspective, right? So you've got looking at these in, in multiple ways. So I think what you're going to see is companies that have really invested in that structure and in that foundation, I think you're going to see them accelerating at a greater rate than some of the others. And I think some other ones are, are, need to retool and, and all that in order to get there. So that's my high level opinion of, of kind of what's going on. Yeah. So what are some of the pain points that you know, you at Heinz are trying to solve as it relates to the end user. And, you know, obviously we're recording this in August of 2023, you know, we're, uh, we're still reeling from some of the economic chaos that's, you know, been created over the last 24 months. Are you in office? Are you not in office? Retail is alive. It's dead. You know, industrial is booming. Development is, you know, coming back online. Like what, what, you know, with your global footprint, kind of what are some of those end user experiences that you're prioritizing for the Heinz business? So for us, and it's it's actually not a change now than it was before, right? Okay. So it's it's always about the user of the real estate. It's always about the owner. Like it's honestly always been about that. Okay. What's interesting is the the changing needs of what they want. Okay. Right. So if you think about it, what's happened over time is that they you know, they've all wanted more flexibility, more options, more convenience, more of all these sorts of things, right? And so I, I wouldn't say that, you know, that Heinz has, has changed its viewpoint on servicing them. It's the expectations of those users, right? And even the investors, again, I'm talking about data and things like that. It's the expectation of these stakeholders that has morphed and changed in a, in a very rapid way, right? Very, very rapid way. And I think it's only, that's only going to continue. Just before we go on, what's an example? Like, is there an example that you can share? So I'm going to split it out. You know, there's end users of real estate, right? Again, occupant, you know, or resident on that and then investors. Okay. I want to give a, a, let me start with investors first, right? So X many years ago, investors wanted quarterly reports, right? And they, on the quarterly report, here's my asset. This is what's happening. This and this and, and all that. Then they kind of started talking about data, you know, and, and things like that. But again, it was still probably around cash flows and how the investment was performing and things like that. Maybe they'd want to see, you know, something related to, you know, accounts receivable, you know, things like that. Well, these investors now want specific data related to their properties. Okay. And their properties, you know, a lot of it started in COVID, of course, around AR and, you know, what was happening, not happening. But they, they want data related to how they're going to be meeting their carbon objectives. They want data related to understanding their tenant mixes so that they know where they have a concentration of risk. They want all this data, okay, that wasn't, again, I'm going to go back to pipes, in the pipes before to, to get to them or wasn't necessarily being reported to them because they didn't, they didn't, act, they didn't that wasn't of interest. To them, okay, it's not that we couldn't do it, but it wasn't of interest. So you're talking, that's something that they want and they want it faster. And they want it in a way that they can consume it. They don't want it, you know, like to go type some things and all that. So that's the investors. If you're talking about the end users of real estate, right, their whole lives have been around, I have 
morphed and changed and everything around the the phone, right? And around the convenience factor of getting things instantaneously, right? Okay. Or having things be more seamless. The way that we can all, I mean, let's go right. I hate grocery shopping. The fact that I can order it online and it shows up and I can, <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So now the expectation of a occupant coming into an office building, okay? And I, we do believe in office, strongly believe in office here. Now I could come in an office building. They don't want to have to go through 10 different gates and I've got six different badges and I've got blah, 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 and I've got this and this and all that kind of stuff. And that's just in one building, okay? But now applying that across other buildings is, wait a minute, if I'm in a company, a worldwide company, wait, I've got these, but then I've got to send a guest over to, to that one and they have to call the security and I got to get them on the list and I've got to go do this and do this. So that's why you see all this push related to, you know, the kind of visitor management and access and all that, because it is insane, right? I mean, so a company's personal, you know, experience is different asset to asset. It's different getting into the asset to get into the floor. I mean, so that convenience, that seamlessness is just not been there at all. So that expectation is that should change, right? Things, things like that. I mean, there's a million other examples like that, but that's a, that's a very real thing. Yeah, no, I think that the, the tenant, the tenant experience, and it's funny, we on a different podcast episode that some of the listeners may remember, we talked about kind of not necessarily exactly as you've described it from, you know, the company's perspective or the employee, but just, you know, how the building presents itself as being approachable or not approachable and all those access points and the things that somebody needs to go through to access the fortress that sits in the sky, those bar- those bars and barriers need to start to come down and I totally understand that. So, so you talked a little bit about the investors end user experience as a pain point and how that's changed. You talked about the tenant or you know the the occupant and company's end user experience. Let's talk a little bit about the piping, right? Because all of this is only possible if the data is in the pipes, and then if it's in the pipes, you got to get the pipes all connected. So, how do you? You mentioned the word data warehouse before. I think some of our listeners may be generally familiar, but maybe let's talk about like what is the infrastructure under the operation look like from a, a data architecture organization perspective as you're thinking about all the different pipes and the connections that need to exist? So first, let's go on record. I'm not a technologist, but I'm not a quant. So I might, you know, play one on TV, so I'm not going to get into kind of all the, uh, the too many of the very specific details. But nor, nor am I, so you're in good hands because my ability <laughs> to go deep on these topics is limited we're, contrary we're to what people may believe. Yeah, we're, we're so, aligned. So this, this is the way that I see it is that, so we have built a data warehouse, okay, to start connecting the data in ways to deliver it to other people, but also to see how the data is with the trends and what the information is coming together when you connect, okay? Meaning you can go use a system to catalog all of your debt and all of those sorts of things. You can go use a system to catalog, you know, all of your leases. You can use a system to catalog all of your accounting, right? And well that but if you put that all together okay what does that tell you right and what are you seeing so there's gonna be some trends that you start seeing related to if leasing is doing this and the debt is doing this this might mean this right or when you can start putting this in ways that you're like wait a minute we can bounce this up against some of our research models and what does this do and not do so putting the data warehouse together so i can put it all together starts giving us those trends and those insights that we can use you know, for us to run our, our business um, differently, but also to be able to go communicate with, again, 
our stakeholders, our investors, our clients, our you know, end users to say, maybe this is a place that you want to think about, right? Maybe this helps you make some different decisions on how you are looking at space that you want to lease, right? Maybe this and all that stuff. So, so the way that we see the data warehouse is it's pulling these things together. You know, since since we do have a large portfolio and since it does go back a, a very very long time, how to see those insights to provide them again, not just for us internally, but really to be able to you know share a lot of those things with our clients and our, and our stakeholders. And so once you have that, then you start saying, okay, well, how can I deliver that to other people? You can do dashboards, you can do things like that. But again, some of these folks want this information themselves to be able to run their own businesses. And, and I'm going to just focus back on ESG, right? Okay. And back to carbon, right? You have investors that are making, you know, their own net zero targets commitments. You have tenants that are making their own. Well, how, how do they accomplish those goals? How do they know they're accomplishing those goals? The only way is to be able to give them the data that's happening at these properties and funneling it to them. And so that's really where we see the data warehouse and things that we're doing all the way down to the asset level coming together so that we can start ensuring that those folks can get that data in ways that they can consume it and achieve their, their, you know, goals that your organizations have set out. So broad strokes, what are some of the kind of inputs to the data warehouse? It sounds like there's asset data. We can start there. What are some of the other kind of like major data groupings that feed in? So we consider, first of all, one of the core tenants of our data warehouse is that we treat our data as one of our most valuable assets. We've got employees are a valuable asset. We've got buildings are assets, our clients, investors, but we, we across the organization have, have a stated goal that data is, is one of our assets, not in the mission statement or things like that, but it's, you know, that's a fundamental principle. So, um, with that, we consider that there's right now four pillars of in our data strategy, right? In our data house. And, and we're lucky because of our organization and because we do investment management and we are vertically integrated that we can get to these four pillars. You know, I'm not going to say easily because none of this is easy related to data. So the first is external data, right? And whether that's data related to markets, whether that's data related to walking scores, whether that's data, you know, really related to anything external to our organization. Okay. That's, you know, one of our, our pillars and how's that feed in. The next pillar is uh, what we consider our internal financial information, right? And this means like, you know, cash flow information, valuation information, information we're making assumptions on um, from our annual plan, you know, all, all those sorts of things relate to financial information. And that also includes debt, right? That includes, um, you know, leasing information. That includes some, some things related to probability analysis, things like that on internal kind of financial. And so, and maybe I would say leasing right there, I would say, you know, more kind of acquisition disposition and, and probabilities and things like that. The third pillar is what we consider operational data. Okay. That's operations of the actual, you know, real estate. Okay. So whether that's development information and cost information, whether that's, you know, rent rolls, OPEX, you know, at a building, whether that's leasing information, that's the financial, that's the, you know, operational data of running that part of the organization. And then the fourth pillar is customer experience 
kind of this, you know, this granular data related to how occupants are using space, how the buildings are, are really connecting with those occupants, right? And, and that to us is, is the fourth pillar. And, and we've had that fourth pillar there for a while and hadn't necessarily delved into it for a few reasons. One, because, and I say a while, I mean like, you know, five or six years was, okay, what are the use cases around that? What's the value proposition? You know, you don't want to go get data just for data's sake. You need to think strongly about what you're going to do with it. How is it going to fit in the ecosystem and all that? But then also it's taken a while because the technology has not been there to get that data out. Okay. And now it finally is moving in that direction. Is not, this is tough, really, really tough, but there is more access to that data. There is more information. There are more things we can do to get that data that's coming in. So that's how I say holistically how we see our, our, our data ecosystem. There's a lot under there. There's a lot of details under there, but I think that's kind of generally. Yeah, and we and we won't obviously have time to go into all of them or most of them. But one of the you know, I'm hoping maybe you can share some advice or wisdom based on your experience because I can imagine a lot of listeners right now are kind of rolling their eyes, saying, you know, not at what you're saying, but they're saying, Eileen, th- this is great, but here I am, I have you know a fraction to none of the resources that a group like Heinz has. I understand everything that you're saying, I believe in it, but I just don't know where to get started. You know, I actually had this conversation last week with a much smaller, much much smaller private equity firm, and they're like, you know, do I need to go pay a consultant millions of dollars to tell me what I would need to do to spend many many millions more? And maybe the answer is yes, but I think I'm hoping you might have some advice for people in terms of as you're thinking about approaching data, data architecture, data warehouses, as you're thinking about building those pipes, like what are some of the things that you can do or that one can do to kind of like break down the the mental barriers of the magnitude of some of these projects? So, so it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And and we're here because we've been out of Australia for a while, right? We're, we're not here. I'm not saying all this because this has happened overnight, right? And what we did was we've actually been doing it in a very methodical way, Okay. And because if you try to go do it all at once, you're going to fail. Okay. As well as it's completely and totally overwhelming that there's, there's no doubt about it. So we always joke around, like, don't try to go eat the whole elephant, which is a horrific statement. I'm not going to go but, but anyway, so we started and said, we are starting at the asset and at the asset, we're starting with cash flows. Okay. So literally that's where we started. We said, pick a date. How far you want to go back and basically say, what's the process to go get this information on a regular basis so you can normalize it and bring it in and have the asset. Okay. That's where we started. And then we kind of went up with the assets and to get to investor information. We went sideways on the asset and started saying, okay, I need projected information or I need underwritten information. But, and then we started going deeper in the asset, right? But basically we said, you've got to start with something. Okay, so our something was literally the you know returns of, of that asset. Okay. Then you start, you know, going, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? Now, of course, we all know once you start building it, you're hoping that you build it and they will come. Well, they come and they come fast, right? So it's you know, how how fast can you go? But you have to put do that. And what that does for you is it starts putting your structure in place. Okay. Your structure is we all buy assets differently. We all buy, you know, and let me just say, I'm not going to say asset. We've spent time with what's a building, what's an asset, what's an investment. Okay. 
Like you have to go through this and figure out how you're defining these terms so that you can slice and dice, right? And and trust me, you're not going to do this all day one. But at least you're saying like, okay, I've got a building. I've got three buildings together. What does that mean, right? How do I want to pull this together? And then, then it starts growing from there. So that's literally where we started. At the same time that we did that, we were trying to enhance processes, okay? So... So we've got this data journey, but this goes back to the business process side to say, we are tracking all of our, you know, X, Y, Z, and we say that in Excel, right? That's, you know, that's what you're doing, Excel. And then it's all coming over and we're getting a massive file that says here's all your data. So wait a minute, there's gotta be a way to do that then, right? I mean, there's gotta be. So we went and, and put in a system to track our debt. Okay. So now, but when the key parts about the system to track our debt is, you got to be able to get that data out so it goes and matches into the data warehouse, right? And into the investment that's sitting over here. Okay. So what we did is we said these aren't these aren't linear. So one, I need to have the company work smarter, better, and I also need to get the data. Okay. So I've got a data journey that's happening. I'm building out my infrastructure at the same time that I'm trying to do things to help people work. Okay. So that's to me is where you get started, which is you don't start at a specific spot in your data journey, start and then go from there. But you really do need to address people. It's hard. I mean, there's a lot, you know, and so how do you start, how do you start hitting those things and then tie them into your data journey, you know, when it's the right time to tie them in? I think that's a perfect, yeah, I mean, it, may, it makes perfect sense and and it's a very kind of logical approach to getting started so you're not overwhelmed by the magnitude of of data you said something interesting you said you know when they build it they come you know they come fast and you know a big part of technology and innovation inside of real estate companies is the change management is adoption is utilization when i talk to people they often tell me i tried that technology and it didn't work whether that's you know, a competitor of ours or something unrelated. And I know many of these systems and I know that they work perfectly fine. I would say nine out of 10 times, it's the user, maybe eight out of 10 times, it's often the user or the organization versus the actual application. So inside of this massive organization, I think you said 4,500 employees, you know, 30, you know, many dozens of countries, like how do you think about the change management? How do you bring people in? How do you get engagement so that they become a part of the solution versus an impediment to it. <laughs> and it's hard also back to what I said before, we're consensus building decentralized organization. Okay, so there's there's a lot to that, which is who could say no and who will say no and who, you know, and, and things like that. And everybody's got an opinion. I joke around that, you know, and the racy chart, right? Racy, responsible, accountable, consultant, inform, there's no informs and hinds. You don't ever <laughs> inform somebody. Somebody's always got an opinion. Again, which is great about the organization. That, that's fantastic. So, so let me say this. You, you have to have buy-in from your senior leadership that like this is something that needs to be done, right? That this is important. The data is important. That these sorts of things are important. Without that, you, you know, you're, you're dead in the water. But that buy-in doesn't actually translate to any change management, right? Uh, rather, let's... It's not, at least in our organizations, there are mandates. Just somebody saying, go do this doesn't mean everybody magically you know, falls in line. And I don't even know any organization, even if they do mandate things, that it really happens. 
So, so a couple things, and this has been, what I say is there's two levels of change management, okay? There is a, how you approach things as an organization and then how you approach things specifically related to projects and, and things like that. So as an organization, um, Heinz, you know, 15 years ago, whatever, was very vocal actually about not being in the forefront of new technologies and all that. Because at the time, again, there weren't that many. It was like, well, we're not going to go, like, we'll be a second or third adopter. We're not going to be the first adopter. Because it was just, it was just hard and, and things. And so number one was change that mindset within, right? And started to talk. And again, this is organizationally. Okay, we're going to start doing this. We're going to be changing this this mindset. We are going to be leaning in on these things, right? Another thing from an organizational perspective was that, so real estate, at least at Heinz, I mean, we're, we're building buildings, right? We're doing certain things and, and they need to be right. Okay, they need to be right 100%, like building buildings, right? So what was that I was translating to is anything that we're doing or anything you're rolling out has to be perfect, okay? And perfect means every exception, every everything. Well, then you never can actually roll things out, right? And so it doesn't work or this and this, you get all those comments. And so we very actively started to change that mindset that's, okay, perfect can't be the enemy of good. It's totally right about building a building. It's totally right about, you know, but from an adoption of technology, we all get app updates all the time, right? And so how do you start, you know, changing that mindset that we have to address the 90% right now and, and we can't ignore the 10% of exceptions, but we've got to move, right? And if you try to do everything at once, you won't get there. So these were organizational mindset shifts that we actually have actively been working on. I mean, honestly, for, for 10 years and, and we're there, right? So leadership buy-in plus all this. Now, if you start going to the the on the ground, it is, it's really hard. It's, it's really, really hard. And it takes constant, constant, repeated communication. Okay. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why it is going to benefit that user group. Okay. And if you can't articulate why, like, honestly, you shouldn't be doing it. Okay. And so, so you've got to articulate the why. Why is going to benefit? And by the way, maybe it's a short-term pain, but it gets to this long-term. Like you've got to articulate that because if you can't articulate that, nobody's going to, nobody's going to buy it, right? It's still hard, okay? But it is a constant. This helps you here, and this helps the investor here. This helps you here, and this helps the client here. This will give you more time to go spend talking to these folks. This will help you, you know, be able to analyze all the things for your employees better. All those things, okay, right? How it gives, what's in it for them, right? And and that's a very real thing. That's that's very very real. And the more of those things you can articulate, the easier change management comes. But it's constant, repeated communication. I mean, that's the. There's no secret sauce other than other than that. I like it. Constant, repeated communication. I or uh, I have a mug here, and this is the the joke is that hurting cats is what I do. Because it's just, that's what you, you've got to, at least, in, again, in our organization, that, you know, people just aren't, people aren't just going to roll. I mean, they're not going to be like, yeah. So, so to me, if you do that and work through it and talk about, hey, I know it's not going to be perfect on day one, but it's going to do these 10 things so you can get those 12 things later, they're more apt to not say, oh, this sucks. This doesn't work. This doesn't this, this and this. Because it's also expectation management, right? 
has to repeated communications about expectation management. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it highlights the evolving role of people who exist to transform and change businesses. And we operate in an industry that is historically, as you just mentioned, not wanted to be at the leading end, the tip of the spear. And that's okay. But now we're in the kind of the fat part of the curve where change is a requirement. So to not change by definition, you're stagnating and falling behind. And so this is, you know, what you're doing, what some of your peers are doing is just a fundamentally new set of skills inside of these companies. I think it's really, really fascinating. And, and again, and I'm exceptionally lucky. I'm in an organization that changes a part of the culture as well. Right. And so so what I'm saying that getting past these organizational things I mean, it's about the data and the, you know, leading and about um does it be perfect. I don't have to get past the change and innovation idea. I mean, that's actually sometimes go even faster than we can even try to corral it here, right? <laughs> so we are, that's our mentality. So we're lucky that we don't have to deal with that, right? But I think other companies have to have to deal with that as well. Why do I have to change it all? Right? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to, that's, that's just different than, than our DNA. Yeah. Well, speaking of change, I think one of the other things that is changing or that you're trying to change is the way the real estate industry looks, right? You know, the diversity of our industry, the accessibility of roles within the industry. Talk to me a little bit about kind of what you're doing around some of these initiatives and kind of what, you know, goals or, or kind of aspirations you have that our listeners can, can you know, be a part of or, or help better understand to, to, to be able to support as, as allies or, or even on you know, on the front lines with you. Well, thank you for teeing that up. You know, Brandon, you know, this is near and dear to my heart. So I am going to make one correction there. It's not necessarily about how it looks. Okay. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm using that very specifically because what I want to talk about and what I'm consistently talking about is diversity and thought. Okay. And, and if it, and it ties back actually to what I was saying, one of the reasons, you know, I'm at Heinz because you're always learning, you're always listening, you're always, you know, kind of all these other people. So to me, we need to listen to other voices. We need to hear from other voices. We need to learn from other people that aren't, that don't look like us, that don't sound like us, that don't come from the same background as us, you know, whatever it is. Okay. I am hugely passionate about that everybody brings something to the table, right? Everybody. Okay. And we need to be listening to that and say, okay, well, how does that weave into, you know, the anything that we do, right? I mean, anything your daily lives, right? And so I am I am actively, <laughs> you know, for anybody who's seen my millions of posts on LinkedIn, you know, trying to talk about this more in the real estate industry and in the real estate tech industry specifically, because that's not known for diversity, okay, or I'm gonna say diversity of thought, because because maybe it is because how people look and who people have come from and people have all been kind of this, you know, one type of of, of view. So I have been doing a lot of work just in general at Heinz for probably about five, six, seven years. Okay. Because Heinz always, we've always been kind of talking about that, but really pushed it starting in 2000, 2016 and just grassroots efforts and, and some things there. But now I'm really expanding it outside of Heinz and really having some discussions about that in every conference, you know, in every place that I can about how do we bring all that diversity of thought into play and really talk about that and really understand where people are coming from 
And what can we learn from what people are coming from so that we can change, you know, about how we, how we do things. So that's, that's at least the start of what I'm doing. And what is, you know, what is specific kind of success metrics look like for you in the near term? I know you've, you've been championing the internal initiatives at Heinz, but externally when we're at conferences, when we're engaging with our peers in the technology industry or just the real estate kind of built environment, what should we be looking for? What should we be thinking about? Like how, how do we effectuate bringing that diversity of thought to the table? Where does it start? Like what's, you know. So um, I inherently am a pretty open <laughs> talkative person, right? As you can tell, right? You know that, Brandon. So to me, the, the way to effectuate change here is talking to people about who they are. Okay. And so the theme that you'll see across some things that, that we've been doing recently, but it was real calm. Um, you're going to see some things potentially at, at pre-tech we're, we're working on, whether it's related to a real calm webinar, I'm doing some other things with some other organizations. It's, it's about talking about where you come from and who you are and bringing that authenticity and being this genuine person to bring that to the table. Okay. And I think that for years and years and years, especially in the real estate industry, that was, don't do that, right? Don't, don't bring pictures of your kids. Don't talk about your stuff or, you know, now, of course, a lot of that's changed now, but, but we all remember time with that, right? And how can you, like, we have to break down those barriers and be talking about who we are and talking about our differences so that you can then learn from them. Okay. So that's to me how we effectuate change and not being scared by that, right? And not being, and, and so to me, how do we mark progress when you see those dialogues happening in a more natural, fundamental way? Okay. And that it's, it's just organic and it's, you know, not, I have to go have a breakfast to have that conversation or I have to go this. So to me, it's how that intrinsically becomes more part of the, the ecosystem and, and the fabric. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but it's to me the only way that we, we can get started. Yeah, well, I agree. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for the industry. And um, I love the kind of quote unquote real talk tagline that, you know, wh- whether it sticks or, or it's temporary, I think it, it really hits on the, at the core of, of what needs to happen. And, and, you know, I think many of us share your beliefs about just being authentic. And as you've said many times throughout this discussion, bringing, you know, feeling safe to, to bring your best self to work and, and being your authentic self. So um, I appreciate the, the work that you're doing. And I know, you know, your, your colleagues in the industry do as well. We have just a few more minutes before we wrap up. Just, just kind of, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that, you know, you're not necessarily focused on the market dynamics and is it going to go up or down, but you're impacted by it and you might be focused on it, but you know, oh, it, it, <laughs> you were all focused on it. You know, how, how do you think, and I know you and I have discussed this in the past, like how do you think about the kind of the gyrations of the market? And again, this is August, 2023, and there's been many and the impact that that has on kind of the technology or innovation adoption curve. So it's interesting. When all of this started happening with the markets and we were seeing what was happening back in and towards the end of last year, we, we were having some leadership meetings here at Heinz. And I made a comment and I said, if our real estate folks, our transaction folks, and they've got slowed down, the only thing that's going to happen is 
they're going to look inward to do a lot of these projects and all these things and all that. So it was going to explode. Okay. So from a Hyatt's perspective, that happened. There was no doubt about it. So the markets slowing down caused a lot of inward, okay, let's go, go, go faster, go faster, which, which it is great. Okay. It's, you know, a little bit of overwhelming at times, but it, but it's, but it's, but it's absolutely great because that's like, that's great, great momentum. It's also interesting when the market's slowing down and, and everything that's kind of been happening is that it's putting pressure again to, to innovate. It's putting pressure to do things better and faster and easier. So it's, you know, accelerating people that are already in this journey or really starting people to get on this journey if they, if they weren't already. The counterbalance to that though is also the funding to be able to do that. Okay. So it's a really strange time. It's a strange time, right? Because the industry wants to push, people want to push, but yet the industry isn't having the uh, the transactions and the flow and things like that in the market to fund all this as much as it could or should. And so I think we're all just watching this and saying, okay, we have to be really smart about what we're doing, putting our time and our resources in the right places. goes back to what I said at the beginning, what's the... X and Y access and ROI and ease of adoption and kind of get some of these out there. Or maybe it's not ease of adoption, but it's ROI, you know, and like I'm referencing carbon and ESG related things specifically. They're not easy to adopt, but, you know, we all believe there's, there's a high ROI. So it's really about ensuring that, that what you're doing matters, okay, and gives you the most bang for your buck. So it kind of goes back to that original, original statement. Yeah, I think I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's and it's kind of counterintuitive that as yeah the market's slow and people look internally to create operational leverage and operational efficiency. By the way, we talked about that on a past episode with Taylor Mammon from RCLCO, who's a pension fund and you know investor consultant. He talked about the importance of operational leverage in this environment, and so as organizations look internally to you and your team, you have to be able to fund these initiatives as well. And so I think for any folks listening who control the funding, that's an important connection to make. And there's kind of an inverse correlation to market velocity to technology innovation. So thanks for thanks for calling that out. Well, Eileen, we're, we're just about at the end of time. I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. Before we conclude, I always like to ask guests, you know, for anybody who wants to learn more about your work, learn more about Heinz, connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach you, follow you, connect? Through LinkedIn. It's probably is is probably the best way. I for being in my role, I am slightly overwhelmed by technology right now. <laughs> so um, the fact that anybody can get to you on a million different channels is slightly overwhelming. But uh, I think LinkedIn is the best way. This is the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, Eileen, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to many more in the future. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Distribution by Juniper Square. If you like today's podcast, please share it with a colleague or a friend. And don't forget to subscribe and rate The Distribution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with me on LinkedIn by going to www.linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Sedloff, Or you can find me on Twitter at Sedloff. You can also find a video recording of this conversation on demand at junipersquare.com forward slash the dash distribution. Until next time.